When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Becoming a mom was messy for me. It did not follow a linear path. And that's true for a lot of women. You know, I think many of us kind of grow up and think when I'm ready to have kids, I'll just pop them out. And that's not how it works for a lot of us. Some people don't find a partner. um, And then some people like myself struggle with infertility. So, you know, when I decided to have kids, um, I waited for a long time um, and then it didn't happen easily. Hey, thanks for listening to We're Momming Today. If you're listening on a smart speaker or website, make sure to find me, Lauren Simonetti, on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And don't forget to leave me a review. Today with Kristen Howerton, mom of four, author of Rage Against the Minivan, about what momming in the real world is really like. Um, certainly not what you see on Instagram. In fact, it's pretty messy half the time. I would certainly admit to that. And I think Kristen is about to do the same. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yes, um, motherhood is messy often, isn't it? Physically and mentally, often both simultaneously. Yes, physically and mentally. It's funny because I feel like when the children were younger, there was more physical mess. You know, I have a whole chapter in my book called Poop, There It Is. You know, there was lots of accidents and gross things. And now that they're teenagers, I feel like it's more mentally messy. Like everything, there's so many hormones and everyone's having a crisis. So it's just, it's just messy the whole ride. Yet when you go on social media or even talk to certain people, everything's perfect. Are they liars? (laughs) Why aren't they honest? Or are we like failing? Because I agree with you. Poop there it is. is like my life. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I'm always befuddled by the parents on Instagram who are trying to present this sort of dreamy, you know, tableau of motherhood. I don't know if it's that they're lying or if it's that they just want, they're almost like, aspirational posting. Does that make sense? Like they think that, you know, if they only post the beautiful shiny moments that that somehow changes the narrative of what it really is. But I don't know. I've always tried to be really honest with what I post because I don't think it's helpful to just see the highlight reel and then feel like everyone else is messing up that that doesn't look like that. We were at a pool club um, last summer and I saw a mom dressed to the nines, everything and part of her bathing suit was coordinated. And, um, <laughs> she had a, a bag of stuff. She plopped her kids down and her props and she took a couple of pictures and she left. And I said, Oh, that's how these Instagram influencers do it. They're really <laughs> prepared. They come for a short time and they go. And I thought that was really sad, but then I thought it and empathetic, but then I said, well, I couldn't do that if I tried. Like, if that were my job, I would not mm. be able to coordinate that photo shoot no. for how, how hard I tried. So I was a little jealous. <laughs> well, I even know an influencer who would go and take photos of her children in model homes. What? 
just as a way to like always have a clean house, just bring the kids over to a model home, take pictures and post them as if they're her own. <laughs> so all that to say, all that perfection that we're seeing on Instagram, no, I do not believe it's real. And I do not believe it's attainable or sustainable. As a licensed therapist, you believe that moms feel the need to create that perfect um, image is because that's what they are aspiring to, to have, to raise the perfect family. So if they show it and think it, they'll get there. Well, you know, I think that I think that we've been socialized that way. I think women for a, a very long time have been kind of socialized that this like domestic show and tell is how we prove our worth. Um, and then we had, you know, we had feminism come, which is amazing, and it gives us the ability to choose more. But unfortunately, a lot of those social expectations we haven't dropped. And it's both society and, and women, we put it on ourselves as well. We, we share some blame in keeping some of this alive. But, you know, just not, not being able to adjust to the fact that, okay, if I'm going to work, if I'm going to have a career, if I'm going to have a passion project, then I may not be having the time to be a domestic goddess. And that's okay, right? Like, that's totally okay. Um, but those expectations are still there. Yeah. And I, I call them motherhood myths. Yeah. Anybody you speak to, advice that they give is be present. Um, yes. So it, it seems like the days are so long, but really the years go by very, very fast. So be uh -huh. present and enjoy every second. I, I do try to remind myself of that, but sometimes that's really irksome to hear. Oh my gosh. I totally agree. I actually wrote about this very thing in my book because um, I was part of this circle where that that refrain, be present with your kids, was a, a really high pressure point to the to the point where people were saying like, you should never be on a screen in front of your kids. You should never be on your phone. And I just, I think it's a funny expectation because never since the dawn of time have mothers had the time to simply sit around and observe their kids and, and like be in wait for their children to do something interesting. Like mothers have always had to get stuff done, you know, whether it was like foraging for food or churning butter, you know, like we still have our, and our things are different now. You know, we have dishwashers and we have washing machines, but we still have stuff we have to get done in a given day. Like I don't have time to sit around and only be present. Now I do think I have to carve out some time in the day to be present with my kids. But I'm also going to return some emails and I'm also going to do some work and I'm going to do some housework. And that's all that's all okay. Like it's absurd to think that we, you know, are like a terrible mother if we miss a cartwheel, you know? What if we don't volunteer for um a PTA or a flash trip? <laughs> are we terrible mothers then too? No, no. And I strongly believe this. Some of us are gifted to be PTA presidents and some of us are gifted to be classroom volunteers and some of us are not. And I'm not. I am not wired that way. I am. I love children from a distance. Um, I do not like them in large groups. Um, you know, and so I found if I went and volunteered at school, I was a wreck for the rest of the day. Like I was done. I was so tired. 
God bless teachers who spend that much time with children. That is not how I'm wired. Um, so and so, schooling, I take it ever. Well, I mean, not by choice. Yes, I am. Literally, all of my well, they're doing distance learning. You know, which we've all been thrust into, which is hilarious because I've always talked this big game of like I would never homeschool, and yet here we are. Everyone's at home today. Um, but no, I let myself off the hook for volunteering, you know, or or I found different ways to do it. Like I, I don't like to be in a classroom full of kids. And so I run the PTA website and I can do that alone from my home without interacting with other people's kids. <laughs> That's a good idea. Okay, wait, what if you have to like bring in something arts and crafty or homemade to no. kids classes or for some sort of project? How do you handle that? Oh, no. Listen, let me tell you my strategy. I am the exactly nap. I am the napkin underdog all day, every day. As soon as that Google sheet goes out, I'm going to pick napkins. And if napkins are taken, I'm going to pick utensils. And I just store that stuff at my house and send it in. And listen, God bless the moms who like to do all the big goods. I mean, we all have our different areas where we shine, right? This is not one of mine. So I'm sending napkins. And if if, if you can't do the utensils, the paper plates, you know. Paper plates, you know, water bottles. <laughs> <laughs> There's many opportunities to really lower the bar. <laughs> I want to hear more about those lowering the bar opportunities. We'll have more Mommy Today right after this. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. We're back on We're Momming today with Kristen Howerton. And uh, it's kind of funny because I remember the the first year my oldest daughter was in preschool, I really felt the need, the pressure that I put on myself to be like the best mom. You know, yeah. I was like praying that they would have like a class mom because I was going to raise my hand and be it, you know, and they, they yeah. did it. So, and then I think in the end, everybody was happy that uh, not only did they not have it, that I didn't volunteer. <laughs> but <laughs> I, the fact that I had the expectation in the beginning was alarming to me because I don't, I, I never ascribed to be a perfect mother. Um, yeah. And I said I would never drive a minivan, and I don't, and I never will. And not again. <laughs> you know, I know you're raging against that. I don't know if you drive a minivan, and there's nothing wrong with it. 
But I always thought I wouldn't be that mother. And yet uh-huh. I was putting myself into that template. Yes. I mean, I completely agree with you. And I did lose my long and passionate fight with a minivan and I now have one. Um, you do. But, you know, I think, I, I personally think some of this pressure comes from ourselves as well in that many of us, before we had kids, we had places where we knew how to succeed and we knew how to kind of get our gold stars, right? So like, you know, before I had kids, I was a therapist and I was a professor and I, I wanted to be successful at my job and I knew how to get those markers of success, you know, whether it's a performance review or, you know, um, students rating me as a professor. Like I was looking for my gold stars, you know, and I, and I, I mean, this is a holdover from school where I was looking for my gold stars, right? And then we enter motherhood. And motherhood doesn't afford us gold stars, right? It doesn't. I mean, there's it's Nor a completely study to get those gold stars. No, yeah, it's, it's a it's a totally thankless job. job. Yeah, it's yeah. your kid, your your three year old is never going to be like, mom, I just really noticed that you put a lot of effort into this smoothie, so thanks. You know, they're not they're not going to do that. And so I think we we get in this like funny feeling that we've got to look for our gold stars as mothers. And so how do we do that? We do that by trying to be the best mom in the classroom or the best mom on Instagram or the best mom in a blog. You know, we're we're just looking for external validation because you don't get it as a mom. And a lot of us are accustomed to getting it from our workplace or from you know, something that we did in our life before becoming a mom. And so I think it's really working on that inside job of how do we give ourselves validation so we're not looking for it elsewhere, which is harder to do, frankly, but but more rewarding. I think the validation for a lot of people, myself included, is raising the perfect child or as close to a perfect child as you can. And then when you start trying and, and, and raising kids and you realize it's not perfect. Uh-uh. That, I, I think that's because that would be the obvious validation. Well, my hard work is paying off because look how great my son is. Look how great my daughter is. And yeah. That's, that's, you know, that, that doesn't happen. No. And that's a dangerous, that's a dangerous pursuit that can get all of us into trouble because for one, that's a lot of pressure to put on a child. You know, we can't seek our own validation through our children. I mean, we try. Don't get me wrong. I, I fall into that as well. Um, but it's it's not healthy. You know, that's putting a lot on a kid to kind of for them to walk into the world and sort of feel because they pick that up. They will pick up if they feel like our worth comes from how they perform. Right. That's a terrible pressure to put on a kid. But it's also a terrible measure of our own validation because our children are separate beings. I mean, we, you know, we can do the best we can, but ultimately they're, they're going to forge their own path. And if our success or validation is tied to them, it's, it's messy for everybody involved. I'm going to quote you from your book and you, you write, my kids aren't insanely good at anything. They're <laughs> average at a number of things, maybe even above average, but none of them are prodigies and I'm okay with it. Yeah. That might be hard for a lot of parents to say. Yeah, I I think it is hard because I think we do live in a culture of performance and we live in a culture that tells us that, you know, as soon as our child is old enough to walk, we better sign them up for a sport so that, that they can compete, you know, or if they're artsy, you know, get them into lessons. Um, 
But, you know, I just really felt like, and I started to do all of those things too, but I noticed pretty early on, like, man, I mean, if like people are just giving me all this pressure that my kids have to be like the very best, but I actually want them to be well-rounded individuals. Like I actually want them to not have to go to practices every single day after school from three to five. You know, I didn't want that lifestyle. And so I've just kind of accepted that like my kids... You know, all of them play guitar, kind of, not super well, but they all play a little guitar and they've all been on a couple sports teams and they're not the very best. Um, But, you know, I want them to enjoy life. I don't want them to feel like they're having to compete even at a young age. And if they want to, and if that emerges and they become super competitive at something of their own volition, that's fine. But I'm not going to push it. You're not the overscheduler. Oh, no. I was. I've lived that life. And it's miserable. It's really miserable. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. I think the counter argument, though, to that is that if you overschedule, you keep them busy and you can tire them out and then they go to sleep early and then you can have a more calm night. Well, I, you know, I think there's a way to (laughs) overschedule because I do believe in that. I think there's a way to overschedule without having it be all of the external stuff, right? Like, so I got tired of my evenings looking like running between practices and like all of us are eating dinner at the sideline of somebody's soccer practice, you know? Um, But I do still think you can tire them out even if they're not overscheduled. And that might look like, okay, we're going for a hike or (laughs) something like that. So mom doesn't have to be a chauffeur and yes. uh, dinner on the go cook. Okay. Yes. You know, so, so motherhood is messy. We have established that we are living proof of that, but your own life has been pretty messy and you're very yeah. honest about it. Yeah. Um, where do you want to start? Well, I mean, I'll say that my becoming a mom was messy for me. You know, it, it did not follow a linear path and that's true for a lot of women. You know, I think, Many of us kind of grow up and think, oh, when I'm ready to have kids, I'll just pop them out. And that's not how it works for a lot of us. Some people don't find a partner. um, And then some people like myself struggle with infertility or pregnancy loss. So, you know, when I decided to have kids, um, I waited for a long time um, and then it didn't happen easily. And I had infertility and then I had multiple miscarriages. And then I ultimately went on to adopt my first child. But even that process was pretty fraught. Um, He came to us when he was six months old. But then there were questions about him going back to a relative for three years. So I didn't even get to adopt him until he was three and a half. So yeah, walking into motherhood was not how I expected it to be, even, even before it started. Speaking of having that perfect image of what it's supposed to look like, and for some people, look, you know, they get pregnant on the first shot and everything yeah. and everything works out. But I always say to those people, and I know a lot of them, just remember that your situation is rare because yeah. it's people who, you know, they have to do IVF. Okay. You know what? You do IVF. Chances are you're going to get pregnant, even if not on the first shot. But then there's people who that doesn't even work for and they have to adopt. And I mean, my cousin, I'll never forget how many times she showed up or got on an airplane to to pick up an adopted child and left empty-handed and what yeah. that does to the psyche and i just you know none of this is easy and people just forget yeah. that yeah none of it's easy and you know it's like whether you have a rough start at the beginning or whether your child i mean i don't know a single parent that hasn't had a real like sleepless night 
situation with their child, you know, whether it's that it started with infertility or whether there is a special need or the child has, you know, I mean, the teenage years, my goodness, you know, none of it, none of it goes perfectly. None of it goes how we plan. And, and that's, I think the best thing you can come to motherhood with the best tool in the toolbox is just letting go of outcomes and knowing that it's not going to go how you think it is. And maybe that's true of marriage as well. Oh, for sure. I mean, if, yeah, if we can all lower our expectations of our partners and our children, wouldn't we all be better off really? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tell me about your kids because I know you have four. Um, Uh Are they all adopted or did you have some um, yourself? Are they different races? Give us your story. Yeah. So my first child was adopted. He is black. He was adopted from um, U.S. foster care. And then um, while I was in the process of adopting him, I got pregnant again. And I talk about this in more detail in the book, but, you know, because I'd had so many pregnancy losses when I got pregnant with her, I was kind of like, okay, well, you know, this I'll just, I guess I'll have another miscarriage this month. That's kind of how I viewed it because I was just so jaded. I think I'd had six miscarriages well, you by that can't point. Get attached. Yeah, you can't yeah, get attached. exactly. Right. I mean, you just, you, yeah, you don't want to get your hopes up. And so, um, you know, a couple months in, my doctor was finally like, uh, you know, this is going to like probably end in a baby, you know. Um, and so I, I did go on to have a healthy full term pregnancy. Um, and so I have my oldest is, um, a boy and he's black and he's adopted from foster care. Then I have a biological daughter. She's now 13. Uh, But when my biological daughter was a baby, I went on to adopt another child because I wanted my black son to have a racially matched sibling. That felt important to me, you know, that he not be the only black child in in a white family. So I adopted another child from Haiti and he came to our house when he was three and a half and then I had another biological child. So I have two daughters and two sons, and my both my sons are adopted. What is it like to raise children of different races? You know, it's interesting because it is a lot. But then again, it's also like uh, most of the time I'm worried about the same thing everyone else is worried about, like getting them on their Zoom calls this morning and, you know, making sure they're eating well and um, but you know, with, with the, with the component of having black kids comes making sure that I am, first of all, connecting them to their own culture and community. That's really important because I'm not black. I don't know what it's like to be black. Um, and so for me, it's really important that they have adult mentors in their life. Um, you know, black people in their life that they, that they can look to and that they can talk to about that experience. And then the other thing is just making sure that I am preparing them to understand the world that they live in and some of the racism that they will encounter and, you know, understanding, having those talks about how to interact with law enforcement to try to reduce, you know, anything bad from happening and try to keep their safety top of mind. These are conversations that I wouldn't have thought to have with my white daughters, but that I have to have with my black kids. And how have your white daughters reacted towards having black daughters? Have, you know, it's been, you, you know what I'm saying. Like when they're little, and maybe they don't understand it, or maybe other kids say something. You know, how how has it been for them? Because I have um, I have a girlfriend, um, and she has a younger sister. But you know, she was she might have been like 17 at the time. Her mom adopted 
um, twins, black boys. And the way it changed her and her younger sister was unbelievable. And the stories that she tells me, I mean, to, for that family, it was the best thing that they ever did, but it wasn't easy. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that for my daughters, it's a real world shifting experience. I mean, first of all, it's all they've ever known. You know, my, their older brother is black. So it's, they, ca- they came into this family with a black sibling, you know, they were born into that. So they don't know anything different. Um, and I think when they were younger, it was just more of kind of like a, oh, we don't match or, you know, why are people asking if he's my real brother kind of a thing. Right. Right. But as, as they've gotten older, and, and, you know, we do a lot to immerse ourselves as a family into spaces where it's predominantly black. Like we try to give our sons that experience. And the result of that is that we often find ourselves as a family, you know, um, at an organization or an event where we're some of the only white people. And I think it's just been such a beautiful gift, even for my daughters to have that experience of what it's like to be a minority, which a lot of white people never have. Um, and, and to realize they never have it either. That's yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Family and so many others. Yeah. Yeah. And to just kind of have, um, you know, an experience of like better understanding black people and black culture. And then, you know, over the last couple of years, as my kids have gotten older and they've become teenagers, I mean, my daughters are just fierce allies. You know, they're very involved very interested in, you know, protesting and the Black Lives Matter movement. And so, you know, it's it's given them a real passion for racial justice, being, you know, being in these circles and in a family um, with, you know, Black people that they love and care about. I think it's given them a lot of compassion, but also a lot of passion for justice. And at the same time, you are the mom of four children. That yes. Four college tuitions. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind me. Four children have to raise to some sort of um, uh, healthy adulthood. Um, yes. How are, you, how are you doing thus far? Um, you know, I I feel like my measuring stick is: are they? Are, how is their mental health, and are they kind? And right now, everybody's doing okay. You know, I mean, I'm. And I want everyone to be finding their own passions and and becoming the person that they're supposed to be, as woo-woo as that sounds. I really, I am one of those moms, I find the teenage years delightful. And I, I can't believe I'm admitting that because I like to, you know, I like to complain and razz about it. And it is, there's difficult aspects, but I really do love watching them become these little people. You know, I, I, I just find it delightful to watch what emerges and how unique they all are and the things that they end up finding, um, a lot of joy in, you know, because it's, it's not what I ever could have planned or expected. And I just, I think it's really fun. Yeah. There's no rule book. As someone once told me, your, your, your greatest responsibility and your biggest task as, as a mother and as a parent is not to get your kids into Harvard, but to heaven to make sure that they're good people. Um, Yeah. Empathy is for me, that's really the yardstick. Like are my kids showing empathy to others? Are they showing kindness? Um, You know, that's to me, that's like, I've done my job. I've done my job. If they can think outside themselves, if they can 
if they can put the well-being of other people next to their own well-being. To me, that's really, you know, that's I think you hit that one out of the park based on the stories that you just shared. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us on Wormont Link today. Thank you. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.